That kind of threw me for a loop, um, <laughs> but uh, I like it. I like it. Dancing in church, I think, is what that is. So <laughs> 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 oh, just kidding. All right. Well, take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter number uh, six, if you would, please. Deuteronomy in chapter number six. And uh, thank you, Seth, for filling in back there. I appreciate it. <clears throat> uh, tonight, we are going to continue our series uh, in bi basic Bible doctrines, major Bible doctrines called Continuing Doctrine. And uh, this is taken from Acts chapter number two, where the early believers continued in the apostles' doctrine. And so I think it is valuable for us to take some time as a church to go through um, the major doctrines of the Word of God. And uh, we just got done going through a couple weeks of uh, looking at the, the Bible. Um, the first, actually, the first few weeks, we, we talked about the importance of learning doctrine, of doctrine in our lives. But then uh, we turned our attention to bibliology, learning about the Bible, uh, what God's Word says about itself. And, and uh, last week, we uh, talked about the inspiration of the scriptures. We talked about the uh, translation of the scriptures, the preservation of the scriptures, and the illumination of the scriptures, and all of that. And, um, and uh, tonight, uh, not near as uh, um, maybe controversial, okay? We're going we're gonna to look at who God is, okay? You can't really mess this one up, okay? And this, this doesn't usually get people all up in arms, um, but uh, this one is uh, an important one as well, though, as we learn about who God is. And the title tonight is Knowing God, and uh, we're going to look here at Deuteronomy, start in Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4, where uh, God's word says this about himself, about God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And so, the purpose of learning about God is not just so that we would get a bunch of head knowledge and walk around and say, yeah, I know a lot about God. Great. Uh, the purpose of learning about God is so that verse number five, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. So tonight as we uh, are reminded, I know most of us, uh, we're not going to cover anything tonight that's brand new. I, I imagine most of us are uh, pretty familiar with a lot of these truths. Um, however, I hope that it doesn't just say, well, I already know that, but that it causes us to fall in love with him once again um, and, and to develop that love for the Lord. Now, one of the most exciting and humbling truths of the Christian life is that God desires to have a relationship with us. I mean, really, that, that should kind of blow our minds that God, the creator, would want to have a relationship with little old me and little old you, or little young you, uh, depending on how old you are, okay? He, he wants to have a relationship with us despite our shortcomings, despite our sin, despite our, um, our wickedness, and, and he wants to have a relationship with us. See, we were made to know him, and all of us in our hearts have that uh, emptiness that there's a hole in our heart, and that's, that's a God-shaped hole. And a lot of people try to fill that hole with so many other things that this world has to offer. Popularity, possessions, power, pleasure, all those things. They try to put it in that. And, it's, and I used that illustration before with the, uh, uh, 
with a children's toy that has all those different shapes and trying to force you know, a square into a round um, hole. It, it doesn't work. And, and, and people all over this planet uh, for, for all of history have been trying to fill that God-shaped hole with other things when, when God all the while says, hey, you can know me and I can meet your greatest needs. Okay, and so even after though, even after we trust him as our savior, he, he wants us to grow in our knowledge of him and in our experience with him. And uh, the end of Second Peter, we're told to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're to continue growing in our knowledge of who God is and, and of course, who Christ is as well. Uh, John 17, verse 3 says this, and this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And so tonight, we want to uh, dive in a little bit and uh, learn, uh, number one here, uh, how God has revealed himself to us. So God revealed himself to us. How did he do that? Well, God does not expect us to just figure out for ourselves who he is. He has specifically revealed himself to us through some different avenues. Uh, first, he revealed himself through creation. And we have to just simply look around to see evidence of an all-powerful God. I mean, here in Oklahoma, most people don't need a lot of convincing that there is a God here. Uh, seeing the power of some of these storms that come through, I mean, it, you know, that this is not just chance or, or happenstance, it's uh reveals the power of a creator, a creative God. Um, Psalm 19 and verse number one is a key verse on this, and it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, but, but the heavens declare the glory of God, and and as we look at creation, it, it just points to the fact that there is uh, a creator, that there is a God. Um, most of us have a watch. Some of us even have a smart watch. Who has a smart watch on right now? Okay. Um, I do not. I just have a regular watch. But at one point, these were considered smart watches because, you know, to create a watch, you had to be smart to do it. And uh, every, every one of these watches... Um, points to a skilled maker. So a perfectly synchronized solar system and universe points to a creator. I mean, this is not just a happenstance. The very first Bible, first verse of the Bible tells us uh, who made the world. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And incredibly, God made the entire world out of nothing simply by speaking it into existence. When he said, let there be light and there was light uh, god revealed himself uh, to creation in creation and although many people have tried to discredit the creation account genesis 1 through 2 there's no science that can prove or disprove the origins of the universe scientists who believe the bible and there are many interpret da data from a biblical worldview that includes belief in a creator and a worldwide flood and to them the evidence and conclusions clearly match Similarly, scientists who believe in the evolutionary process likewise approach data with their worldview. To them, the data, data suggests another conclusion. The truth is, 
Since no one was there to witness the beginning of the universe, both conclusions are accepted by faith. Okay? Now, indeed, the Bible tells us that believing God created the world we see out of nothing is a matter of faith. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So believing, here's, here's a great statement here. Believing in creation is faith in a creator, while believing in evolution is faith in chance. Now, which would you rather place your faith in? Place your faith in a creator or place your faith in chance? Um, I think a creator is the more intelligent place to, uh, p- place to put our faith. Uh, knowing God is our creator leads to an important conclusion. We are created for him and not for ourselves. Uh, Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. See, we do not exist to please ourselves, but we exist to please God. So he's revealed himself through creation. He's also revealed himself through conscience, through human conscience. Interestingly, the Bible never sets out to prove the existence of God. It simply assumes his existence. It doesn't say, well, okay, here's where God had his beginning. Because God had no beginning. And, and there's no, like, proof that God exists in the Bible other than, I mean, the Bible doesn't, God doesn't try to, like, prove his existence. He just assumes that he has and always will exist. I mean, in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I mean, you would think, okay, if God wanted to prove his existence, he would start and saying, okay, well, here's who I am and here's why I am. He doesn't do that. He just says, hey, I'm here. And this biblical assumption is because God hardwired the knowledge of himself into our hearts when he made us. Let's take a moment and do a field trip over to Romans chapter number two. Romans chapter number two. And let's see, Brother Blake, would you mind reading? It's just us tonight and all the world watching on live stream. Um, All uh, 12 people that watch these services. Um, But uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 14 and 15, would you mind uh, just kind of nice and loud right where you are reading these two verses? Romans 2, 14 and 15. Fourteen and fifteen. Okay. So here we go, and, and really in verse 15 is really where, where it is. Verse 14 sets it up, but verse 15 says, look, the, the law is written in their hearts, and their conscience also is bearing witness that God exists. Okay, here's the deal. It has been widely observed that no one is born an atheist, okay? All around the world, people know that there is some God, and they have a sense of right and wrong. I mean, even... Even these remote tribes, you know, that have never heard any, any verse of the Bible, they've never heard John 3.16, they've never heard anything like that, and yet they still have a system of right and wrong. God put that in their heart. 
okay? And this is part of conscience that, uh, that God uh, gave to all of us that shows that he does, he does, or he has revealed himself through conscience. Now, that sense that God has given us may be molded and in some case twisted or silenced by their environment, but it is there nonetheless. Uh, scripture tells us it is God who has placed within us the gift of conscience, which testifies of God of sin and of our need for him. Now, uh, John 1 and verse number 9 says this, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. See, people can and do reject the knowledge of God, but it's not because there's no evidence, both from within and from without, to support the truth of God's existence. Okay? Um, but that's not the main thing, that main way he, he revealed himself. Yes, through creation. Yes, through conscience. But uh, here, there's two more that are, that are also extremely important. Uh, number, number three here, he has revealed himself through his son. Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh to reveal to us who God is. Uh, let's turn over to 1 Timothy 3.16. And let's see, who wants to read this verse tonight? All right, Brother Jacob. Okay, 1 Timothy 3.16. What an awesome verse that is. And uh, here it says this, that God was manifest in the flesh. Of course, that was a reference to the Lord Jesus. Um, we read in John chapter number one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then we find out that the word in verse, 12, verse 14 was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of, his, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he has revealed himself through his son. Uh, but then, fourthly, and we'll learn more about this as we get into that part of Bible doctrines. Well, we'll take a couple lessons to study Christology, learning about Christ. Um, so I'm not going to cover all that tonight. But uh, fourthly, he has also revealed himself through the scriptures, through the scriptures. While nature gives us a general revelation of God, the Bible gives us specific revelation of God, exactly who he is and what he is like. And uh, we're going to uh, dive into a couple of these uh, tonight. And uh, again, I don't want to take too, too long on this, but maybe I'll cover two or three of them, and then uh, we'll call it a night. So the Bible does cover quite a bit of information on who God is, and we can learn a lot of who God is from the scriptures. Um, according to the Bible, there's only one true God, and he is the God revealed in the scriptures, and what a God he is. And the first real purpose of the word of God, by the way, is to reveal God to man. Uh, the Bible begins, think about this, the Bible begins and ends with God. God is the bookends of the scriptures. Of course, we know in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, what does the last verse of the, uh, of the Bible say? Revelation chapter 22. Um, I've got to go. It's before the Bible dictionary in my Bible, before the coordinate concordance. <clears throat> Revelation 22. Almost there. There it is. Okay. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So it begins with God in Genesis 1-1, and it ends with God, Christ, Revelation 22, verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So God is the bookends of the scripture, and it's the first purpose of the Bible. Um, now, through the light of creation, we can learn many things about God, his wisdom, his power, but, but we cannot know his character, his heart, his thoughts, his plans. For that, he has given us the scriptures to give us the inside scoop on all of those things. Uh, God made man in his own image so that we might know him. Before Adam had a wife, he had a relationship with God as his tender creator and almighty friend. And the chief objective of the Christian life is, some people would say, well, to make other disciples, to get the gospel out. And, and while that's an important part of the Christian life, I, I think that that's not the chief objective. The chief objective is to know God in Christ. Paul said that his single-minded minded goal was to know him. And remember, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Um, and that Philippians 3.10. Okay, so, um, and, and knowing, when we know the character of God through the scriptures, that leads to salvation. And it leads to sanctification. And uh, it, it leads to a lot of blessed things. And so this is a worthy study for us tonight. Um, okay, let's, let's dive into some of these uh, attributes of God. And uh, here we go, no, no, number two here, God's attributes in the Bible. Uh, what does God's word say that God is? Well, first, it says that God is a person. God made man in his own image and is knowable by man. God has self-consciousness, self-determination, character, personality. God thinks, he plans, he acts, he speaks, he hears, he communicates. Unlike the God of some pagan religion uh, who is thought to be infinite in an unknowable sense, the true and living God is infinite but knowable. He created man in his own image that man might know and fellowship with him. And from the first pages of the Bible, God is revealed as a person who is knowable by man, a God who communicates with man, God who walks and talks with man from the beginning of man's history in the Garden of Eden. I see people have many vague ideas of God as a force. Okay, I realize that today is May the 4th. And I'm not going to preach against Star Wars necessarily, but people have vague ideas of God as a force and have tried to uh, use Christianity and, 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 and in, in the whole Star Wars scenario. No, uh, because God is not a force. Uh, God is a person. God is not a, just a power or an influence. God is a person. Because, see, it's impossible to have fellowship with a force or an influence. God is a person. Um, and God has the characteristics of personhood, such as, and we already mentioned, speech, satisfaction. He is grieved. He gets angry. He is jealous. He has pleasure. He has compassion. And, of course, we know that he has love. And, and we'll cover a few of these as we go through this list here tonight or and into next week. Okay? But we see, first of all, from the scriptures uh, that God is a person. Uh, number two, God is trinity. 
kind of want to just cover the first three, and then I think we'll call it a night. How about that? God is Trinity. God exists as a Trinity. The Bible clearly tells us there is one true God. We started with that verse in Deuteronomy 6.4 this evening, that uh, there is one God. Um, Isaiah 45 and verse 5 says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Ephesians 4, 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Uh, these emphatically state that there is only one God. James 2, 19 says, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Uh, but the Bible also tells us that this God exists as a trinity, a, literally a tri-unity or three in one. The scriptures uh, refer to this as the Godhead. 1 John 5.3 is, or 5.7 is a key verse uh, regarding the Trinity. And it says this, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Okay, good. I had to help you out there on the last word. Uh, yes, these three are one. Uh, we see throughout the scripture that God, or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God, although there is but one God. You say, I, it kind of blows my mind. Exactly, because he's God. Um, if we were to wrap our head around it completely then, and completely understand who he is exactly in this area, um, well, he wouldn't be God. Um, now, <clears throat> There is one God who exists simultaneously in three persons. Each is co-equal, co-powerful, and co-eternal. Now, here's, here's, let's go down through these very quickly here. The Father is God. Uh, one key verse on this is Romans 1.7. I'll just turn there and read it. Romans 1.7 says, to all that, are, that all be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Father is God, but also the Son is God. Hebrews 1.8. Hebrews 1.8 says this. I was never the fastest at those sword drills. Um, it says, but unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thy throne, O God, and he, but, but who he's saying it to is the Son, is Jesus. So the Son is God, um, and then uh, the Spirit is God, Acts chapter number 5. Uh, this is the, uh, the account of uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and their... Uh, their, their lie and uh, their premature death as well. But uh, in verse 1 of uh, Acts chapter 5, I'll pick it up in verse number 3. Peter said it, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Okay, so he lied to the Holy Ghost. To keep back part of the price of the land, while it remained, it was not thine own. After it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not a lot light unto men, but unto God. 
So in verse 3, he refers to him as the Holy Ghost. In verse 4, he is God because he is God. The Holy Ghost is God. Okay? So the Father's God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And, of course, we'll take some time to learn more about the Holy Spirit and, and the Lord Jesus uh, as we uh, continue on in this series. But the Trinity is impossible to completely explain, but it is vital to believe. We see it throughout the Word of God. And uh, there are several other verses here. Um, Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And so there's, there's others that we could go to as well, but... Um, the scriptures do teach that God is a trinity. God exists as a trinity. And then thirdly here, God is the creator. And uh, we've already referred to this a little bit earlier, um, but uh, we'll end with this thought here. Of course, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I'm going to give you a few other references that are just, just awesome. Um, Nehemiah 9-6 says this, thou, even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Uh, Psalm 33 in verse six, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Isaiah 44, 20, 24. Thus saith the Lord, thy redeemer. And he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. And uh, I'm thankful for the fact that God is creator and that he created all things. He created literally the universe from absolutely nothing. Matter is not eternal. Only God is eternal. And uh, the word that we get, the word create, is from the Hebrew word bara, and this means expresses creation out of nothing. The world's, Hebrews 11.3 says, the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. God was able to, you know, if you and I are going to like build a shed in our backyard, well, we have to have supplies in order to do that. But God was able to make the universe out of no supplies. He just spoke and it happened. And how did he do that? He's God. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> now, because God is the creator, means that he is the owner of all things. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. Psalm, or Proverbs um, 16, 4 says, The Lord hath made all things for himself. And so he owns everything, and he owns, as a result, he really truly owns me as well. 
um, Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and uh, glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And because God is creator means he is also the sustainer of all. And we looked at this as we're going through the book of Colossians, but uh, we looked at the fact that by him all things consist. And he upholds all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3 says. Um, Acts 17.28, in whom we live and move and have our being. And so he sustains all of it. And that God is a creator means that he is Lord of all. God is the Lord of all the earth. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is Lord of lords. And he is the absolute master. And so we could talk a little bit more about this, but uh, tonight I think we'll stop there. And uh, we'll, we'll pick it up here uh, next Wednesday night. So uh, come on back and hopefully um, there won't be a bunch of weather issues going on next Wednesday night. Let's pray. And uh, we'll just take a moment to uh, cover some quick prayer requests, and then uh, we'll go ahead and be dismissed. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for who you are. And Lord, it's awesome to be able to be reminded of some of your attributes that your word highlights. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, as a result of knowing who you are, to be able to uh, love you and to serve you and to make you known to those around us. Lord, who you are is not just meant to bless us. It's meant for us then to declare who you are to those around us and help us to do that. And uh, Lord, I thank you for our church. And I just again pray for your protection upon us as, as we uh, go home in just a few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.